Hello, welcome back to Landforms Radio. I'm your host, Ian Corey. Joining me today is Ali Jafar, the singer and guitarist of the Minneapolis-based, self-described sludge gaze band, Another Heaven. I first met Ali in 2019 on tour with Gabby's World and Bellows. Another Heaven were by far the loudest band we played with that whole tour, and probably my favorite. Since then, I've kept up with Another Heaven's music and Zero Brightness, Ollie's podcast about horror video games. I was psyched to have Ollie on Lambda Forms Radio to talk about Another Heaven's latest album, Heaven Sent, the Minneapolis music scene, and how COVID forced the band to level up. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the conversation. I want to start in kind of a, a, a weird zone. I have a strange train of thought that I just like to kind of get the, the, the ice breaking with. Okay. Um, I, I went out and I got some coffee before the podcast. Cause I always worry that I'm going to like sound too low energy or something sure. on these. And I noticed like, as I was coming back from the coffee shop, there was this very disconcerting combination of like, car and the music that it was playing mm-hmm. passing me by where there was this like Ford F-150 all black blasting windows down just blasting like 1940s pop music like oh. close harmony vocal jazz kind of shit oh and it just gave me like the weirdest the weirdest combination of vibes. Like it just felt like this is like some like Bioshock kind of shit going on (laughs) rumbling down the street. Yeah, Um, that's not good. I would not have enjoyed that. (laughs) I will say I, so I, this is a real chicken egg situation. I have no idea where this came from or anything, but in my neighborhood, there's like hella old dudes who drive like historic cars, you know, like interesting old timey cars. And for some reason I fucking hate it. Like, I just can't explain why it's just like, no, stop it. Just drive a fucking Corolla. What are you doing? (laughs) And like the only cool one I've seen was this like dude who was not doing it as like a bit or a hobby. He was just like really fucking old and had the same car that he like bought in the eighties. And I can't remember what it was, but it was like something kind of like a gremlin or something. And like, it was really fucking cool, but everyone else is driving like, you know, some old red car that looks like a UFO. And I'm just like, you don't need that. Stop it. (laughs) So I, I thought I might be, it might be fun to throw that question or that train of thought at you because, (laughs) uh, I, I noticed a similarly like incongruous combination of like your, your music and the uh, general aesthetic of stuff that you're into and like the PT cruiser posting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, so the PT cruiser thing is funny too, because like, so I've always had the same philosophy about like buying things that cost a lot of money, like cars or music gear or anything, which is like, Mm -hmm. if you want to find the best deal, find the thing that everyone hates, but like not for any really solid reason. And so like I was trying to buy like a Subaru or something and I was like, God, they're all so expensive because I mean, they're great cars and everyone loves them. And then I was like, well, what's a car that everyone just like absolutely detests, but not because it's like a bad car necessarily. And I was like, PT Cruiser, 
it's the PT Cruiser. And so like I jumped on Craigslist, immediately found one for $1,500 that only had like Mm -hmm. 80K miles on it. Like super, just like amazing find. And I bought it. And then like, I, I bought it sight unseen, like not even thinking about it. And then like, as I'm driving it home, I'm like, wait a minute. I just kind of bought like a clown car and now like <laughs> everyone's going to like look at this and be like, Oh, that's like a clown car. And so then like chatting with Cole, it was like immediately, cause that was like not long after Cole joined the band. I think that I bought that car mm-hmm. and like, it was just immediately like, yeah, we, ha- we have to make this like, not just a joke, like the joke, like we cannot let this go. And I mean, I, I, I sold it like a few months ago and we have not let go of the joke. And like, I still think of like my car as a PT cruiser. Cause like, I don't have a car right now. I just drive my partner Monica's car. And so I was like, well, my car is a PT cruiser. Cause that's my mm, car. You the know? car in your heart is a PT cruiser. <laughs> yeah. Like- yeah. But it was funny when we started doing the posts about it and jokes and stuff, people would message me and be like, yeah, those cars fucking suck. And I'd be like, oh, I, I, that's my car. Like I drive that car. <laughs> like if you come to our next show, and you get there early enough or stay late enough, you're going to see me get in or out of that car. Like that's my fucking car, dude. I'm very curious about the analogy to like music gear. What do you think is the like undervalued music equipment that people hate for PT cruiser reasons? Well, it it changes every few years, right? Mm -hmm. So like when I was first playing in good bands that needed real gear, it was like PV and Music Man, mm, um, which mm-hmm. are the two heads that I play the most. I have like a Music Man HU-130 and a PV VTM-60. That's technically Coles, but I play it a lot. Um, those were like absolutely hated. Everyone was like, they're garbage because they're like, you know, part solid state or because, well, it's PV, like fuck PV, like blah, blah. And so like all the smart people bought those and still have them. Um Though that stuff is very beloved now, you know, because like tastes have changed and especially like the scene that we're kind of in or adjacent to, which is like heavy music, like heavy shoegaze, like that whole thing. Everyone's playing like music band, old PV stuff. That's become pretty beloved. I think now it's like, well, I mean, now it's just kind of like brands that are even more hated that manage to like pump out like a decent amp. Like there's a really good like crate tube amp that is now kind of like the next Hmm. joint, but it's hard now because whenever something is like that, like reverb is going to blow up the spot immediately. They're going to be like, send an email out. That's like, here's an article about this, like hidden gem. And then it's suddenly like a billion dollars. Like I I saw that it happened in real time. Cause I remember like the second, another heaven record. I used like an old boss flanger on it. Like one of the Japanese ones I -hmm. bought it for, $40 $40 and then like reverb put out an article that's like the best flanger you've never heard of the boss BF two with the black label made in Japan. And I was like, Oh shit. And I saw that there was something for 200 bucks and I was like, fucking goodbye. Whoa. Yep. Yeah. Flipped it immediately. I was like, yeah, uh, I need to pay my like insurance this month. Um, it's harder now. It's not like it used to be where everyone was just flailing on Craigslist. You know, when do you feel like that? change happened to the point where there's now that kind of like feedback loop, no pun intended about like the sort yeah. of hype cycle of gear and the, you know, articles being written, this kind of like vertical integration thing where the, the same people that are selling you the gear are like hyping up the value of some, 
some of their like goods basically. Yeah. Uh, when do you, when do you feel like that kind of ecosystem really came into place with music gear? I think it was like, I mean, and, and I'm biased cause this was, I was working in the music gear industry at this time. And so mm-hmm. I was following this stuff really closely. So maybe this is just when I noticed it, but I want to say it's like 2017 because uh-huh. that's when like reverb started doing more like articles and YouTube and just almost acting like a journalistic outlet in addition to being like a marketplace. And then right. that inspired a bunch of like retailers to start doing that too, like smaller stores and stuff. And, and a bunch of people had already been doing it, you know, like it, it wasn't a new concept necessarily, but it was just like, this convergence of like reverb made it really popular and then everybody got in on the act. And so suddenly it was like, everybody was trying to be like, you may have never heard of this thing, but it will change your life. Or like, did you know Mm. that slow dive used this? And it's like, yeah, nah, I I do, but okay, sure. (laughs) Like, I, I feel like that was like 2017. And then it just like, it kept intensifying. Cause now it's like, there's just such a whole culture and an industry built around it, not just on those like platforms, but also just any social media. Like you can go find right. any band and see exactly what amps they use and exactly what pedals they use. And which it's fine. I don't know. I don't want to be just like old man yells at cloud about it, but <laughs> I think that if you're like cheap and poor, it's definitely made your life harder. Cheap and totally. or poor. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know, so that's like not amazing. I don't like that part of it, but I guess in the general information part of it, it's like, it's fine. I guess it's good for people to know things, I guess. Allegedly. Right. Well, it's like kind of crucially, like you mentioned that these are, are companies that are moving into a quote unquote, like journalistic space. Whereas to me, it's like, this is pure content creation stuff, you know? So it's not just information, but it's like information with a, a an agenda behind it. Because the idea is like, we're showing you this because we're advertising our store, you know, on right. some level. And I do feel like at least when I was first like getting into playing drums seriously, there was so much like conversation, especially in like the, you know, heavy music world where it's like, literally there's like a BPM limit that you hit with double bass playing unless you're playing a certain kind of pedal, you know? Right. Like you just can't play in the two hundreds on like non long board pedals and stuff like that. I mean, I'm sure there are people that can, but it's like, there's a huge sort of gear shift. Uh, again, a terrible pun that I, I didn't mean <laughs> to say, uh, Hell that yeah. happens with those kinds of, of genres. And I feel like I noticed a lot of drummers, getting really, really obsessed about getting like the right gear, like the right symbols over like learning how to play the songs correctly. Like there's this kind of like gear first skills later mentality that I think a lot of musicians fall into sometimes. Yeah, it's stuff. I think it's definitely more popular or it's like become more popular to just like be into gear, even if you don't need to be, or you're just not at a place Mm where like it, it makes sense to be. Um, so that's true. But then like, I also feel like it's maybe just like shifted. Cause like, once again, back, let's go back to when I started playing in bands, which is like in the late two thousands blues lawyers were the big thing. And like, 
that concept still exists, but for people who don't know, it's just like rich guys who just have really fucking nice guitar setups, but don't like do anything with them. And at that time they were all really into like modern, like white blues guitar players. And that was like the joke mm-hmm. about them was that they were just like idiots. And like now you kind of have that same thing, but it's with people who play in like indie rock bands or underground bands and like maybe even playing like decent bands. But you're also like, bro, you you're showing up to the gig with like a lot of fucking really nice gear, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, I guess it's just shifted. So it's like in your face a little more. Cause like at that time you would never see that at a show. Like you would see that in some dude's basement who you were like buying a fucking like pedal from you know what i mean and you like drove like an right. hour, hour out to some weird suburb and he's like do you want to check out my amp and it's like i guess yeah man sure you know <laughs> and like now it's like that kind of happens at shows so i think it's it's a, just a little more in your face and like so i think people maybe like think about it more but mm-hmm. you know i don't know i it's it's hard for me to have a strong stance or opinion on it in any way just because it's like i don't know i'm i'm not some like awesome example of how someone should be or something and like i suck too and i own too much gear and like i don't know i i think the one thing i always come back to is it's just like i don't really care what people do as long as they view them as tools and they treat them as tools and like they don't Mm. try and make some argument that it's like no like i I, this is the thing that that makes me creative or that makes me do something cool or whatever because it's like as long as that, that's not the mentality, I disagree strenuously with that. But otherwise, it's like, I don't really give a shit. Like, yeah, like everyone likes gear. Everyone likes amps. Pedals are fun. You know, like you turn on a pedal and some dumb fucking laser gun noise comes out of it. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> that's kind of universal. But just as long as you remember that it's like, yeah, like it's actually, you know, heavy's in your hands. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I remember even even when we started Another Heaven, I remember people keep it was we didn't drop tune or anything and people would be like, Oh, are you guys in some weird tuning or something? It's like, no dude, I've just got like, I know how to fucking play really heavy and standard (laughs) and you know, so it's like, that's, and you know, and I have a big muff, I guess. So it's like, right. That's really technically all you need. So I don't know. It gets, I'm kind of really tuned out of the gear world right now because it did get a little too mookie where people were just like, Oh, I made this pedal. That's like an exact recreation of the, the amp that, Al used on dope smoker or something. And it's just like, bro, no, no, (laughs) like make your own thing, like do your own thing, you know, but otherwise I don't really care. So you mentioned that you first started playing in bands and I'm assuming this is the bands that you mentioned that started needing to have like actual pro gear in the, the late two thousands. How much, how much earlier than that had you been playing music? Like when did you start playing music? Oh, I mean, I mean, I started playing music like when I was a child because mm-hmm. we just we had a piano at home and I would fuck around on it. And then like, you know, my I'm Arab and, you know, a lot of people don't think of like the Middle East as being in Asia, but it is. And like the Asian parents thing, like definitely still applies where it's just like, uh-huh. oh, will this help you get good grades? Like, cool, like learn that. So I learned a little bit of piano and then I moved to cello. And I played cello mm-hmm. and then I started playing guitar when I was in middle school. And then it was like over for my dumb ass. And, um, <laughs> so, so yeah. And then like throughout high school, I would do weird noise class shit. I got really into like experimental music and like noise music. And then when I graduated high school, I was like, I want to have friends. So I'm going to start playing in bands. <laughs> um, no, no diss to the noise folks. Um, but yeah, so 
that and then yeah i'd say my first couple bands were not they were not good and and we didn't really need i think my second band is when i bought like a real like i guess quote unquote nice amp i would just bought one of those fender hot rod amps for like mm-hmm. 300 bucks and that felt like a a life ruining amount of money. And it was a lot more than like my $60 PV joints I had been enjoying. So sure. Um, what were those like first bands that you joined? Like, like what kind of music did you want to play with friends at that point in your life? You know, that's a really good question. I don't know if I even knew. I mean, my first band, I remember it started with my friend who like only really listened to metal. And I had just gotten really into like Boris and like mm-hmm. Boris was like my favorite band, like end of high school and like the time after high school. Um, and so I was kind of trying to do something kind of psychedelic, like stonery like that. But like we were just so fucking terrible. We had no idea how to write a song, how to play together, how to do anything. Towards the end, we kind of got it together, but I don't really know what I would call it. I guess we would call it post-punk because it was kind of just what it sounded like, but it was just kind of nothing. And then my second band I started because I did want to do more of like a post-punk thing. And mm-hmm. I had met someone who was kind of on the same page. And so we kind of had this like eighties, I don't know. It was like that C86, like slumberland sound meets like post-punk. But once again, it was just like not a good mix of people. So it ended up just kind of sounding like, in my opinion, after the first EP, it sounded like nothing. Um, and then that band broke up like, and then like I, the band, nothing or like, no, nothing no, no, <laughs> the concepts, nothing, <laughs> <laughs> no, not the band, nothing. No. Yeah. yeah the, the, the concept, nothing. I, you know, yeah. And, and then that band led into, and I guess also like, I'm just talking about my bands. I mean, I live in Minneapolis. The joke about Minneapolis is that everyone's in like 15 bands. So like mm-hmm. also at this time I was playing in other people's bands and doing other weird one-off projects and just fucking around with friends and stuff. And, and that was all really good. And then I would say like the third band that I started was called hollow boys. And that was like the first time that I was in, like, I would say a real band that actually sounded like intentional. We had a sound, mm-hmm. we had a style and, and all that shit. And it was like the first time that anyone like actually gave a shit about anything I made. So that was like a pretty formative experience. And I don't, you you played with Another Heaven, right? Or did you play with Hollow Boys at some point? So I don't think I ever played with Hollow Boys. Because we met in 2019 when I was yeah. on tour with Gabby's World and Bellows. Yeah. And I think by that point it was just Another Heaven. Yes. We played at that like big like tea lounge looking kind of spot that yeah. had like a gigantic it was a huge room but only like part of it was technically the venue i i don't remember what it was called the kitty cat um, club the kitty cat club there you go yeah yeah so but i i did look up i you know i pulled you up on rate your music and i saw you know formerly hollow boys uh yeah under the another heaven band name so is that technically the same project do you view them as continuous or is it like a wholly different thing yeah well I think that kind of, st- uh, that's, <laughs> that's actually a much tougher question than you probably intended. I mean, <laughs> I- I'll tell you kind of how another heaven started was that we had this band called hollow boys. It was me and my partner, Monica, who you met mm-hmm. in 2019. I know. I think she played with you too. I think her band subtle beast, which I was also in at the time played with you. Yes. Yes. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I guess for the listener, that's how we met is on that tour. I, I booked them a show and then Monica's band played and my band played and it was a good time. 
Um, and I did a video session with you guys. So there's like documented evidence that you were in Minneapolis. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We had some great donuts that morning. I remember. Oh yeah. Uh, you, you guys probably went to voodoo. I think they were just there at like the, the studio. There's just like a big box waiting for us. Uh, yeah. So. Glam doll. I think, sorry, not voodoo. Voodoo donuts is a place in Portland. I don't know. Uh, huh. I don't, I don't really ever eat donuts. <laughs> <That's all I'm laughs> <saying. laughs> I had voodoo donuts once like 10 years ago. And I was like, I think that's a donut place. I was on tour. There's no voodoo donuts in Minneapolis. Um, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. I'm also a fucking idiot. So that's a cool thing for the listener to learn about me. Um, no, that, uh, see, I already forgot what I was saying. What was I talking about? Well, oh, you're, so, you're yeah. talking about the hollow boys to, another yeah, heaven. the, the hollow boys to another heaven pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so so I had a band, me and my partner Monica and Cole um, had a band together called Hollow Boys. Uh, we did our thing, we were trucking along, and then that band kind of fell apart because Cole had to step away for a while, and me and Monica were like trying to keep it going, and it was just not working. And so at one point, I was like, let's change the name to Another Heaven, let's do something different. And then a bunch of weird interpersonal stuff happened, and basically it led to this asshole who was in our band. We kicked him out. And then Monica was also like, well, I also quit. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, that's fucked up. But I get that. And like, you know, and we're still together. And I think that was kind of the whole consensus was like, well, it really sucks being in a band in a relationship. Like we should just pick one and we're not going to pick the band. Um, <laughs> and right, so, right. so I was kind of left alone with my own devices of like, well, what am I going to do with this thing? And so I decided, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to treat it like a name change and I'm going to get some new people and just do this thing. And so I started another heaven. It was me and our drummer, Aaron, um, who's still in the band. And then it was my friends, uh, Jeremy warden, who's in a really good band called double grave. And then, um, my friend, Chris, who's in a really good band called no Kim. And now doesn't, really have a project he just kind of does stuff for himself but um he's a really really amazing person and musician and i love both those guys but they kind of joined and we did that first record and we did a tour and then chris moved and jeremy left to work on his own project so cole kind of came back into the band Mm. and then that was like the core lineup was me and aaron and cole and we did that for a few years. And then recently we had another guitar player join. So you can kind of see how it, it started as a name change and then just became its own thing. Yeah. I think it was also at the time I was like, you know, it would be probably a lot more like eye catching and sensationalistic for me to kind of like change the, the name of this band rather than to be like, I have a new band mm-hmm. and that kind of worked. Uh, I think like it kind of got people who were paying attention to our old band to maybe pay attention to our new band. And it also, I mean, a lot of those people didn't like the new music because it's very different. What is like the difference uh, between the two musically? Well, Another Heaven is just way heavier, way more of the heavy music thing. Different instrumental setup because like Hollow Boys was guitar, bass, and then like a stand-up drum kit. It was very stripped down and very minimalist. And it had mm-hmm. almost like ambient kind of element and like noise kind of element going. And like Another Heaven doesn't really do that stuff. It's it's a lot more of just like a very heavy like rock band. So I think there were some people who they missed like the delicacy of it. And it's like, well, sorry. <laughs> what inspired that move into the, the heavier direction? Was that something that you'd 
been meaning to, was that like a personnel thing, like a personal decision? Like why, why do you feel like the project ended up going in that direction? Well, hollow boys had been moving in that direction anyway. Cause like me and Cole, especially and Monica to a lesser extent, like listen to a lot of heavy music and like mm-hmm. really our biggest influences, like back when we were making that music was like Boris and swans. And like, we were writing this music that had a little bit more of like a post-punk or like pop feel to it, but we were trying to make it like super heavy and like super fucked up. And you can kind of hear that sometimes in the music. And at that time too, like we were playing in other projects that were like metal, like Cole had a metal band called livid at the time. That's like super good. Not the one from Wisconsin, the one from Minnesota Um, for anyone who wants to look that up. uh, um, Like we, it was there. And then I think when when Hollow Boys fell apart and a bunch of like kind of fucked up shit happened to me in my life and I was just taking a little break from music and trying to figure out what I wanted to do, like all I was writing were these just like super heavy, super riffy songs. I was just like, yeah, like I just want to do that. And yeah, that just kind of really influenced the direction that the band started to go down. And it just seems like every time we do anything, it gets like a little heavier. Like it's always playing around with those elements, but it just Mm kind of keeps, if not heavier, at least like gnarlier. (laughs) It's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, that's fucking weird. (laughs) You know, like, so I think it was there. And then we just kind of just, when I was left to my own devices and I was like, what do I want to do? I was like, yeah, I want to do something gnarlier. Yeah. I mean, I remember on that tour in 2019, you meet a lot of bands when you're on tour that you're like, Oh, this was a good show. I'm glad that we played together, but it's not necessarily like something you would check out on your own time. But then like when I saw you guys play, I was just like, Oh shit. Like this is a band that even had we not played together. I'm like glad to know uh, <laughs> that this band exists. Cause it's like really straight up my alley. Like I love a lot of the bands you've been mentioning as like influences like Boris and swans. And you yeah, know, I remember mentioning uh cloakroom to you after yep. seeing you guys. Cause it was like that same mix of like shoegaze, but also played at like such deafening thickness uh-huh. that it's like basically metal, you know, yeah. uh, like yeah. Cloakroom's a, a non music person would say it's metal, you know, whether they're right or wrong is you know, yeah. up to the, the gatekeepers to decide, I guess. But yeah, well, and that's always been the joke internally in our band is is just people telling us whether or not we are metal and so it's like yeah like when people who aren't super in the metal are like yeah you guys are like a metal band and then people who are super in the metal are like no fucking way i don't think so it's just funny because it's like i mean the truth is probably somewhere in between i don't advertise us as a metal band and like you know i respect people's commitment to their chosen subculture but yeah it's like Actually, at that time, too, it was really funny because I would say musically, like writing wise, I don't think we were as heavy then as we are now. But mm-hmm. the amp setup at that time was fucking hilarious because like Cole and I, I don't know, we just got bitten by the like biggest amp possible bug. <laughs> and so we were both rocking these psychotic stacks where we just each had two Ampeg 410s. So they were like DIY 810s, but they're way taller than than like a normal 810. And also like I was running two amps. And so it just made the most like disgusting sound possible. It was very, very funny. Unfortunately, we had to stop doing that because it was just like we can't ever hear our vocals because like no room has monitors that can keep up with us in 
Minneapolis, but that was mm-hmm. a that was a fun era, like the the like grrr, like low frequency death bomb era of another heaven. That was fun. What is like you mentioned the the lack of uh, technical capacity to keep up with you know keep the vocals competing with that kind of volume. What is like the loud music scene? Putting that as broadly as possible to include both metal and non-metal definitions of it. You know what is that scene like in uh, in the Twin Cities? Because like you know my sort of dumbass view of the the Minneapolis music scene is mostly like it's it's a city that's famous for its R and B more than it's famous for its heavy music necessarily. Sure. Um, so I'm very curious to hear like what is the scene like? You know what what kind of uh rooms do you guys play like are there other bands that are doing similar stuff or do you feel like you're an outlier well minneapolis is a music town first and foremost like there's so many bands there's so much music there's so many places to go see music so it's just like overall it's a really crazy scene if you wanted to just like cram everything together and just say like minneapolis music it's kind Mm -hmm. of unbelievable like even like you can play here for years and years and feel like you kind of get how things are laid out. And then you'll just see a show where you're like, I've never heard of that place. I've never heard of any of those bands. Like how, how is that possible? Cause it's also like, it's not a big city, you know, like it, it's, it's more like a a city with the feel of a small town is probably like the best way I can mm. describe it. And like, it's it's so interesting that like there's still just so fucking much that like it's unbelievable. So that's kind of the first thing you need to know about Minneapolis. <laughs> the second thing is that there is a ton of underground music. There's a lot. There's a huge punk scene and there always has been. I mean, even historically, mm-hmm. like you can go back to like there's kind of like two paths, I guess. Like on the one hand, you have like Husker Du, which is like, right, you know, right. I think to a lot of people who play like music like I do or similar to me, it's like, that's kind of like the most like famous Minneapolis, but obviously like Prince is the most famous Minneapolis thing. But like, if you live here, you get really sick of hearing about Prince and the replacements. And so like, you just like, (laughs) you're desperate for like any, even though like there's nothing wrong with either of those artists. Like they both have made like very, very good music and it's like whatever. But like, if you live here, you're just so tired of hearing about it. But like, you know, Husker do, I feel like is a great thing that people hold up as like this historic kind of like Minneapolis, like hardcore thing. And they eventually were kind of making more like indie rock, but it's like really fucking good. I love Husker dude. It's like one of my favorite mm-hmm. bands. Another very, very loud band. Uh, yes. From just like those, there's just some extremely loud amps in my experience. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, and, and then the other thing here too, historically is that there was a, a zine slash record label called profane existence. Um, mm. which was like a big center of like the crust punk scene for years and years and years. And mm-hmm. there's a modern record store called Extreme Noise that's kind of like an offshoot of like that whole thing. And that's like the punk and like hardcore record store. So there's always been a really strong scene for like punk rock and specifically for hardcore. There are always like strong scenes for metal as well, just like heavy music generally. And I think especially in recent years as like tastes have changed and like people become more open-minded, like we've, you know, gotten to play with a lot of like very cool, like metal and hardcore bands who are okay with having a band on the bill that's not metal or hardcore, Mm -hmm. but can just like kind of throw down in in their own way, which is like 
how I describe us. So yeah, I mean, there's a ton of bands doing it right now. There's a ton of like really, really good bands. Even more recently, there is more of a scene for like specifically like shoegaze stuff. Like it's a really good band called Prize Horse, really good band called She's Green, bunch of really good like younger bands that are kind of sitting somewhere between like emo and shoegaze and like that whole thing. And yeah, mm-hmm. there, there's just a lot of music here. There's always a, a decent scene for like house shows if you're into that. And then there's a bunch of really small clubs. That's one thing I will say. All the clubs and stages here are like really fucking small. Hmm. So it, it's annoying in some ways, like if you're playing a show where everyone brings their fucking like full stacks, but like <laughs> it's also kind of cool because it just makes the shows feel very like intimate and it's like every show feels packed because all the rooms are so small. <laughs> so right. yeah, it's kind of a vibe. Yeah. And that's interesting. I feel like there are some, there are some cities where there's kind of like the middle is the thing that gets squeezed out, you know, like there's either like you can play at a bar or there's just the big name venues that kind of, you know, are, are the, like the live nation set, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's cool to hear that. It's like, it makes sense that if it's a city with a lot of bands, that there would be a lot of venues that aren't necessarily huge, but can, you know, offer a place to a lot of bands still kind of like on the come up on some level. Yeah, for sure. And, and like, we've definitely experienced some of that like middle venue, you know, squeeze here for sure, but it's better than in a lot of cities. And like, I mean, there's just so much going on here. It's like, you're never going to not have a place to play. You might Mm -hmm. not have like an amazing place to play that you like love, but you'll have somewhere to play where, people will come and you know, you can sell some records or something because you owe money on them or wait, what, what am I talking about? What am I talking about? (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned, you know, the scene changing and tastes changing, and I'm just going to use that to kind of brute force a, a question about, cause I, we first met right before COVID and then we met Mm -hmm. again last summer so what we'll kind of, you know, jumped to this whole very consequential period of time. How did like COVID and lockdown and all that affect the music scene uh, where you are? And also how did it affect, how did it affect another heaven specifically? Well, you know, I think for us specifically, it was kind of funny because we had all these plans, right? Like we, we, we had studio time books. Um, we were going to tour that fall. We were like, yeah, we're finally getting back into touring. It's been a couple of years. Let's do it. And like, Obviously, all that shit got thrown in the trash, but um, you know the the funny thing that came out of it was that we became this like very organized, very efficient, productive like DIY unit. Because mm. after like a few months or whatever of not doing anything, we were like, well, we ended up with this situation where we had two practice spaces across the hall from each other. It was like <laughs> between everyone in our band, you know. Right. It was like. Uh-huh. I, I was renting one and like Cole was renting another. And so we set up this little like isolation thing where we we're like running cables across the hall and like made this little like COVID safe, like recording thing. And we're like wearing masks and all this shit and like never got wow. COVID from each other at that time. We did way later when we played a show after we even <laughs> vaccinated and everything and then could just got our shit rocked by COVID. But yeah, like it was just crazy setup and we used that to record a fuck ton of music and also like get better at recording to click tracks and get better at like passing each other demos and all this shit. So like we actually came out of the pandemic, like feeling like we had like leveled up as musicians, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, that was kind of nuts. 
but cool in its own way. Very stressful still to be scared of getting sick and, you know, be worried about money and all this shit. Like, you know, my income's like cut in half, but I'm still like on Sweetwater, like buying specialty cables so I can like record a record across the hallway. It's just like, wow, this is fucking weird, you know? Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> it's, we came out of it, like, I, I think just a lot stronger like as a band and like better as musicians. And I also feel like it kind of set us up to do what we're doing now where like we have another member and like everyone's writing songs and all this shit. I, I feel like a lot of that comes from COVID because like Mm. the, we made two records over COVID one of them, which came out and it's called three. And then another one that we haven't put out yet that we're going to put out next year. And it was funny because like, I feel like before that we were kind of like any normal like rock band where we were just like sort of disorganized. Like we were professional about shit, but when it came to like getting stuff done, we were like a little disorganized. And then afterwards it was like, it was like everything was just so like precise and efficient. And so someone's like, here's my demo of a song. And it's like, okay, a week later we're playing the song and it sounds good. You know, it's like shit right. like that. That's like kind of wild. Like to me, you know, maybe other people are, are hearing that and like, Oh, you guys, so you guys sucked. And I was like, yeah, probably. <laughs> and, and then we like got good, you know, so get good, you know? Um, uh, and so that was kind of a funny outcome, but for the scene, it, it, it was, it was weird. Cause I feel like over COVID I had all these dreams of like shows getting better and being more safe and equitable and, and just things being better. And then when shows came back from COVID, it was like, no, everything's exactly the same, which is pretty disappointing. But I will say that I feel like people are more enthusiastic to like support bands now. So like, uh-huh. I think before the pandemic and maybe part of this is inflation too. So maybe I'm just like having, maybe I'm just once again being like a total dumbass about this, but I feel like before COVID, like telling someone it was like $10 to come to a local show, it would have been like, Oh, okay, cool. So I'll see you at the next one. That's not $10. Whereas like now it's like people will do that and buy merch and like blah, blah. And I think people, it kind of like was impressed upon people that it's like, Oh, like music makes very shit money. So everyone's on a razor's edge doing this. If you don't support people doing this, they're not going to do it. And right, right. so I feel like that was good, but then venues did not have any sort of similar <laughs> realization. <laughs> venues were like, Oh, you idiots are back. Cool. Uh, here's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right exactly I, it's a it's a tough situation because like the venues themselves also you know i i try and keep like obviously i'm I'm going to be pro musician in any of these sort of circumstances but i can understand why a bunch of venues that probably saw all of their rents go like way up and you know real estate is insane post covid especially here in new york at least that like it makes sense that they they have a pretty predatory attitude towards any of the bands that are like also being squeezed. But, you know, it's it's a dog eat dog kind of situation and it's fucked up. That's for sure. But yeah, not a surprising one, I guess. Yeah, I, I just kind of really felt like it would maybe be somewhat different because like I said, for me personally or for us personally, we looked at the way that our band worked and it was like, well, we have all these resources. We have all these materials, like raw materials. If we change the way we operate, we can make something out of this, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then I just was like, well, I hope other people have that same feeling and specifically like venues or people who book shows or whatever. And, you know, it, it was maybe different for a little bit, but I remember one of the first shows we played after shows came back from COVID, I was like emailing the venue and I was like, yeah, so we want everyone to be vaccinated and wear masks. 
And because this was, or yeah, yeah, this was post vaccine. So I was like, I want everyone to be vaccinated and wear masks. And they were like, really? It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's what we want. And then like two weeks after that show, they were like, it is now mandatory for everybody, you know, but like they tried, they got in a month of shows where they didn't give a fuck, you know, just right. fully who cares. And there was no guidance from the like state government or anything. And that, but, and like at that time I was like arguing with them and it was just like, well, yeah, like I'm, our band is going to make like 200 bucks at this show. It's not worth it for me to get fucking COVID for 200 bucks, dude. Like fucking, yeah, come on. <laughs> you mentioned that the current setup with another heaven is that everyone writes material. Uh, was it more autocratic before that? Or has that always been, is it always been like a democratic songwriting process in this band? It's, it's always been pretty democratic because like we kind of approach every song differently and there were always multiple songwriters. I think once Cole joined, I would say like right mm-hmm. when I started the band, I was the only songwriter. And I think just when we were getting to the point where I was like, Hey, if you guys want to write songs, you could like, that was when the lineup changed, but like Cole joined and then Cole immediately just had tunes. And so I was like, oh, okay, well then there's songs that Cole writes and songs that I write. And there's some songs that we would just jam and then Mm -hmm. together kind of mold it into a song. And so it's kind of always had that feel of like, it's not just me, you know, making a demo and being like, okay, everyone learn my song. But I think with the album three, that was the first time that like Aaron wrote a song and then the new, well, he wrote two songs on it actually. And they're like two of the best songs on the record. And then with the new one, it's a similar thing where like Cole wrote a bunch of the songs. I think pretty much all the best songs on the record Christian, the new, our newest member, who's our guitar player, who's also along with Cole in a very cool, like kind of like metal core type of band called Serac that are really good. He wrote a couple songs on the record and they're like two of my favorite songs on the record. So it's, it's always kind of had that feel. I think I've talked about this before, but I think a lot of times people think that I do more um, than I actually do in the band. And it's just because I Hmm. sing the most And I still write most of the lyrics. And I think especially if anyone talks to me for like five minutes, they're like, oh yeah, this is definitely like the fucking asshole who writes all these lyrics. And so (laughs) I think that like that maybe throws people off, but like actually writing and putting together a song and all of that, it's much more of a group process than I think most people know, you know? Mm -hmm. What do you feel like are the big differences between the different songwriters, like what does everyone bring to the table that like is different differentiates them from each other? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, I think Cole is a really good, just like classic songwriter. Like mm-hmm. when he brings something, it's just, he uses a lot of just like classic moves and like stuff you've maybe heard before, but in a really different, like weird and cool way. So like he like only writes in, in um, E flat standard, uh, which is like mm-hmm. our, our standard tuning. Like he won't do any other tunings. Cause like, fuck that. You're an idiot. Like, don't do that. Um, I only write in weird tunings nowadays. So you can, there's, <laughs> a, there's a little bit of tension there. And like the other day I was like, Oh, I got a new tuning. I want to try. And he was like, go fuck yourself. But um, <laughs> I feel like Cole's just like a great classic songwriter and he's really good at vocal melodies. So there's even a lot of songs where he didn't write the lyrics and he may not even sing, but he wrote like the vocal melodies, you know? So mm-hmm. he's just got a great ear for that. I feel like Christian, 
he's also just like a great songwriter, but he writes stuff that's just like kind of weird and different. Like he wrote the song on the record called Just Another Day. That's like this weird kind of like slow, like post-rock song that kind of turns into a crazy like metal thing at the end. And then uh-huh. he also wrote the song after it uh, called Luxury Funeral, which sounds like way more like just like a 90s shoegaze song or something. I don't know. He just has this totally different way of like thinking about stuff and, and writing that I can tell at least that's like, oh, like definitely me and Cole didn't write that, but it's like super good, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then me, I don't know. I Cole always says that I kind of like set the the sort of like sound palette for the band that like the the music I wrote in Hollow Boys and the music that I started writing when we before they joined Another Heaven, like it kind of has a certain feel and vibe to like the chords, the chord progressions, the kind of atmosphere. And so I, I think that is probably the thing that I the strongest thing that I bring to the band as a songwriter is like just kind of setting that vibe. And even sometimes like Cole will bring me a song and we'll work on it together. And by the time it's done, it's like, oh yeah, I totally just like made it this weird, like rainy day, fucking gray shit. Uh, Uh Even though what Cole wrote sounded way more like Neil Young at the start or something. So yeah. So you kind of impose like the filter on it that makes it another heaven. (laughs) I'm the Instagram filter. (laughs) Dude, I knew I, I knew I sucked. I knew I was an idiot. I finally have proof. You mentioned that you recorded three and then a forthcoming, but not four record (laughs) around the same time. So that leads me to wonder what's the deal with, uh, with four heaven sent. Like, how did that come about? Why release this before the other unreleased record? Like what's, what's the story here? Okay. I'll tell you the story. So basically the unreleased album, which I guess for ease of use, I could call five, although it's definitely not called five. I'm dropping the number thing. Four is the last number thing. Five was the one that we were supposed to record. We had it written. We had it rehearsed. Pandemic hits, right? So mm-hmm. gets canceled. We put out a couple demos that are actually songs from that record. So people have heard some of those songs. But then when we got things back up and running in the like summer 2020 or like late summer 2020, we were like, well, we can't rehearse because we can't all be in the same room. We can't really write new stuff yet because we haven't really figured this out and so the the best thing that we figured we could do that would like stress test this kind of covid setup and it would mean that we wouldn't all have to be in the same room was like well let's just record that stuff we know it inside and out we can you know do the drums to a click with scratch guitar and then have everyone else layer parts over that i can work on it at home or in the space and blah blah blah. so we did that and we had no expectations we didn't even know if it was going to sound good or anything and it came out like really good like Mm. really really good and so we finished it and we were all like hell yeah we did it and then it was like this immediate like fucking um bucket of water dumped on our heads of like we cannot put this out right now because we're just dumping it you know what i mean like we can't really promote it we can't tour on it we can't do any of the stuff we want to do with this record so we're like okay let's put it aside and let's do another record just right after. So it was like the week after we finished it, we started working on what became three. And so Mm -hmm. three was our like quick record. It was like recorded really fast. It was mixed really fast, you know, put to vinyl and put out just like as fast as we possibly could. Like it still ended up taking a year, but like with doing a record start to finish, including pressing vinyl in a year nowadays is like really fucking fast. 
So oh, yeah, definitely the vinyl part alone can be a year. So to yeah get all of that done pretty in a, you know, in a year is very fast indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like, our thing was like, let's get back into it. Let's put this record out. And it was also like, let's see how the economics of putting out records have changed post COVID. Cause that was a big thing. Cause like mm-hmm. I went to our label and I was like, Hey, do you want to do this? And he was kind of like low key. No, <laughs> like he was like, I pressed a bunch of records right before COVID hit for bands that were supposed to tour. And all of those records are now just like money pits. And I was like, oh, yeah, that does suck. But I kind of talked him into it and like we made like a plan for us to like pay him back really quick and like blah, blah, blah. So we put out that record. And so then it was like, okay, now let's do let's put out five, right? The one that we had put out. (laughs) But then everyone was like, "Mm, no, I still don't want to put that out right now. And Christian had just joined the band. So I was like, let's do a different record. I was like, okay, we'll do one more and then we'll put that one out. And so we ended up writing and recording four. That took way longer than three. It took like two years this time. Mm -hmm. Was way more of a horrible, grueling process. And yeah, so putting that out, that's... I feel like now we're at this point where it's like, we kind of have everything down to a science. Our machine works pretty efficiently. So right after that record came out, I told everyone like, well, we're going to do a little EP soon. And then the next thing is going to be that unreleased record. So I was like, we have to get it out, but yeah, that's how that happens. (laughs) This is very fascinating to me because I, I'm curious, like how you feel about the, the five material, now that you've sort of like written past it, like two records worth past it, like, do you still feel like it's representative of where the band is or do you like, yeah, what's your relationship with having that kind of like unreleased music in the vault? Well, that's the funny thing is that I thought it would be a lot harder to square than it actually is. Cause like in my head, I was kind of having these doubts of like, well, maybe this record just isn't even relevant anymore. Cause like, we've kind of done a totally different thing. We have this new member in our band and like it's we're a di- we're literally a different band than we were then. But then I went back and listened to it and I was like, okay, number one, this record still fucking kills. This record is still so good. And the other thing, it's like we kind of accidentally did a weird like Ouroboros thing where like we sort of like predicted mm. all this other shit with this one record. And so now it almost makes more sense that we waited because like that record is really odd and it's really slow and heavy and it's Uh it almost feels like it makes more sense that we did these records in between forever which was what we had had out at the time like when COVID hit which was like our second album it's called forever and then like this unreleased record like it would it almost Mm -hmm. would be a lot more jarring if we had just gone from forever to five the unreleased record you know so interesting yeah. The the only thing I ended up doing between like finishing it in 2020 and hopefully putting it out next year is that I did remaster it because mm-hmm. I don't know. The original master was on some weird shit. I, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, it's got to be fucking loud and blow it out. I like mastered it in the red. It sounded fucking crazy and like not in a good way. <laughs> so <laughs> once I did that, I was like, oh yeah, this sounds really good. And it, it's also like, I feel like for has the best production of anything we've ever done. It's very like mm-hmm. clean and, and precise in the, in the mixing and everything. 
And yeah, I was going to mention there's a, a really great balance between the sense that like the music is very loud, but the vocals are very clear yeah. um, without be with in, without sounding like too clean or too poppy or anything. Yeah. Uh, so it's a really nice balance that you've struck between like a lot of implied volume without, you know, actually like burying the sound under itself. Yeah. For sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate that because I mix the records. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like with the unreleased album, I I feel like it also kind of has a bit of that clean sound that like three didn't have because three was like fast. It was like, let's do it fast. Let's kind of make it rowdy and like gnarly. But like the unreleased record has a little bit more of that clean. I think the only thing that I would change if I was going to go back and remix it, which I'm absolutely committed to never doing because it was so horrible that I'm like, I'm not cracking open that session file ever a fucking again. Like, no, thank you. Is that the vocals are a little lower in the mix and they're a little more like reverby, but I do think it suits the music. Like it, it's not in a, I don't think it's in a jarring way, but that's like the mm-hmm. big difference I'd say between four and, and future five unreleased record is like four, we went really heavy on the vocals and it was like, let's make Uh the vocals like loud and, and punchy. And like, it's kind of almost mixed like a pop record. Yeah. 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 Which I hadn't done before for us. What made you want to take that kind of approach with the vocals this time around? Well, I think it was that we had been, we had spent all of that COVID time, like 2020 till, you know, we started recording this record, just working on our vocals And it was really the first time that we had gone in with all the vocal arrangements done. You know what I mean? Like Hmm. before there would be a lead vocal and then Cole and I would figure out the harmonies and backup parts together. Right. Like while recording basically. Yeah. But Uh with this record, we had been playing the songs for a while. We knew them really well. And Cole and I had been singing them together really well. So it was like much easier to just go in and do these clean vocal takes that still had like harmonies and layers and shit. And Mm -hmm. so there's still a little bit of studio magic where there's like songs that like have harmonies that we don't do live or that just have like excessive harmonies because it's like fucking cool. But generally it was like, it was already there. It was already written. So it was a lot easier to go in and get these super clean, nice sounding vocal takes. Uh, and that kind of made me want to keep pushing them up in the mix. Like the longer I worked on the record, I was like, I just want more and more and more. Like it's just, it's so like satisfying, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's the big difference. Like you can hear in the other records we've done, it's not like that. And so the vocals do end up a little lower in the mix. And it's usually cause like a lot of those harmonies and things are like an afterthought or like, it's just like a first take thing and it's like a little sloppy and it's like, yeah, that's fine. Let's just like turn it down a little bit, you know? Uh So this Uh was not like that. Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes it stand out, I think, from a lot of bands that are doing a similar kind of like very heavy shoegaze kind of thing where like the vocals become, you know, more part of the texture than the actual like substance of the song sometimes. Yeah. So I I certainly appreciated listening to this record that it's like, oh, the vocals are pretty upfront. It's like not these are songs that are not afraid to seem like songs and not just like extended jams or like riff zones you know what yeah. i mean so personally like for my taste i really like that decision i think it was cool that y'all did it that way yeah for sure well, I, I i do think we're aware of that being kind of one of the interesting points about our band is that like i mean that's something cole and i bonded over like years ago is just like loving like classic songwriting you know what mm-hmm. i mean like you just hear like a fucking 
like Carol King song or something. And it's like, yeah, that's a fucking good song, you know, or like, you know, Neil Young, like we love Neil Young. And it's like, yeah, like I I think if you're going to make rock music or music with a band or whatever that has vocals, however you want to call that, like, I do think you need to have some level of appreciation for that. And like definitely in the modern landscape of like shoegaze music, I think that there's some bands that I think could spend a little bit of time listening to like some, some shit like that, or just like listening to some singer songwriters and, and just, you know, cause that's cool. I like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I like to sing too. I was saying to you that like, I'm definitely not a fucking theater kid at all, but I almost have this like weird theater kid vibe of like, if you hand me a guitar, huh. I'm going to start singing. Like right. uh-huh. I was, I was telling that to one of my friends. I used to do some like <laughs> ambient or like noise sets or whatever, like back in the day. And it's like, I can't do that shit anymore. Cause if I'm holding a fucking guitar, I'm going to start singing, you know, it's like theater kid. You can't help. Right. Huh. That's funny. Yeah. It's like, you know, going back to the sort of discussion of, ah, I don't know. I don't, I sort of assumed you were maybe more of a gear person than like a songs person kind of going in. Uh, yeah. So that's actually really cool to hear that you have, you know, this, this other side, uh, and that definitely lines up. Like it all makes sense. It's clicking together. Yeah. Yeah. That's the funny thing is to me, it was always like the songs first, even back when Mm -hmm. I sucked (laughs) at everything, (laughs) it was like songs first. It was never about gear. I think the way that I got in the gear is like, well, gear is fun and gear is cool, obviously. And then also getting into recording. Cause like I'm, I'm an audio engineer. And getting into recording and learning about that and getting good at that and blah, 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 you learn a lot about gear. And then I also worked at a guitar store and then at a guitar pedal company. So (laughs) you can see how I kind of fell into the hole of like gear. But to me, it was like, I always kind of had that mentality of like, it's got to be the songs first and the performance first. And even with gear, it's like the only reason that I, I got so deep into gear is because like, I wanted to make these cool sounds that I could make in a studio live. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And like, I definitely have fallen too far down that rabbit hole before. Like my pedal board is way simpler now than it used to be. I think like there was a bad time when I had way too many fucking pedals, which most guitar players go through at some point in their life. Like it's normalized talking about it. It's completely okay. Uh, (laughs) But like that, like the only reason I got into that is because I'd spend so much time in the studio. I'd spend so much time in pro tools and like, you know, like the, the shimmer reverb, like the octave up reverb, which is like now the biggest sound in like shoegaze, or like the kind of music we make or whatever. Like I only got into that because I was doing that in pro tools for years. And then mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I was like, I want a pedal that does that. And then it was like $400. No, but then boss put one out for $150. And I was like, thank you very much. My favorite pedal company boss Roland of Japan. Thank you very much. So that was like the whole thing. But like in terms of the songwriting and creativity and stuff, like, it's always to me, it's like, I just want to write something cool and I I don't want to perform something cool. And if the pedals work and help me do that, great. And if they don't, I'm, I'm yanking it off the board. You know, it's, it's going away. I've got a few kind of smaller questions that I want to, I want to throw your way. Okay. One of which is I was looking on Spotify and like seeing like where you had your most listeners. And most of the answers were kind of around where I expected, you know, a sizable Midwestern fan base, but then the number one city uh, was Helsinki <laughs> from Finland. And uh-huh. I was just curious what you make of that, whether there's some explanation. Uh, do you ha- like why there's a, a Finnish 
another heaven fandom out there? Like, what, what do you think the reason is for that? Well, yeah, there's either some people in Finland who really like our band or it's VPNs. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, there my, you go. my two answers. Cause I've done that with like podcasts that I run, like done the data analysis and sometimes shit pops up. That's like, what? And then I'm like, Oh yeah, I always forget about VPNs, but maybe, right. maybe that's not true. And if, if that is the case and they hear this, thank you. Thank you, Finland. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of dovetails well with the next question I wanted to ask, which is, you know, you also have a podcast, Zero Brightness, mm-hmm. which it's funny having a conversation with you because I've listened to your podcast. And so I'm having this experience of like doing what, you know, I feel like a lot of podcast listeners dream of doing, which is like talking back to the podcast voice <laughs> that they hear in their head. Yeah, for sure. And this may be like the hack way of presenting it, but like, do you feel like there's any crossover between the sort of aesthetics? You know, it's a horror video game podcast, the aesthetics of like horror gaming and the, the ideas that you talk about in that podcast and the sort of stuff that you do in your music. Like, do you see these as connected at all or are they like wholly separate pursuits in your mind? Oh, they're super connected. I mean, I I think Mm. just horror in general, not even specifically video games, horror in general has always been like a massive influence on me. And I think for two reasons, number one is that the aesthetics just like kick ass, obviously. Um, (laughs) But also I think it's that most horror or I could say like most good horror or all good horror. I don't know pick one of those is basically a way for people to deal with their own traumatic experiences and their own like things that they go through in their lives. And so I personally like connect so much with horror and I, and I get so many ideas for art and music and whatever from horror, because it's like when you're confronted with those ideas, sometimes it is just like kind of mind blowing where you're just like, Oh, Holy shit. This is about that. And then you're like, Oh, wait a minute. I could do something like that too in the context Mm -hmm. of like a song where it's like, well, maybe I write a song about this, but it's actually like my way of dealing with this. And so I think that like, like I remember like, like hollow boys had a song that was like pretty much just like a play by play of like one of the ring books, like the books from Uh the series that inspired the movie, the ring, you know, uh, which is actually the only way that I've I've interfaced with that whole world is I've read the books, but I haven't seen either of the movies yet. Oh yeah. I think I remember either seeing something you wrote or hearing something I'm, I associate you with that. Cause like, I love that series. I fucking love those books. They're mm-hmm. so good and they're so unique, but uh, you know, there was a song that was like that and it was just cause like, Oh yeah. The whole struggle of like the main character in one of these books is like so fucking relatable, but it's also obviously a way to like process this trauma. And so that, that was like an, a formative thing for me. It was like, Oh, I can just do that. And that still happened. Like I wrote a song the other day. Like I watched this weird, I think it was an Indonesian horror movie. I can't remember mm-hmm. what it was called. Or no. Well, I watched some horror movie. Okay. I'm just going to back out of that trying to figure out where <laughs> it was from. It's from the Philippines. That's what it was. Cause it was in Tagalog. Okay. And I remember being uh-huh. like, this is a really interesting language. Cause you can catch bits and pieces of it. Cause it uses a lot of other languages like in it. It's kind of mm-hmm. like when I hear like Somali or Urdu, I can like hear the Arabic in it. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like when you hear Tagalog, like you can hear the Spanish in it. And you're like, Oh, that's really interesting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Those, those, horror movie from the Philippines. And it had this amazing opening image. It's literally just a dream this woman has. And the meaning of it is like incredibly obvious, right? Like it's, it's not like a deep, amazing thing, but it's just like the imagery is so fucking tight. And like the way that it's contrasted with her, just like getting up 
and going to work after having this nightmare, I was like, oh my God, that's like literally my life. And then I literally like ran over and started working on this song that over the next week I would like slowly finish. And so it's like, I don't know. It's the same with horror, like horror video games, I think are some of the most like interesting and like weird art being made right now. And so I play those games and I get all these like different aesthetic and and ideas and things that like influence my writing and definitely in terms of lyrics, but even sometimes in terms of music with like that vibe Mm -hmm. and that atmosphere and stuff. So I, I definitely see a big connection there. So along those same lines, like when I was Googling Another Heaven, one of the first things that came up was the uh, the Japanese horror movie that I had never heard of uh, by the same name. Is that where you got the band name from or is that just pure coincidence? Uh, so, yes, that is. And I do want to explain that because I've never explained okay. I've never explained that in like a recorded format, like in an interview <laughs> or anything, which is funny because it just felt like everyone just went along with it. And it's like, no one's going to ask me where I got the stupid name from. And like, I guess maybe it's just so on the nose for like what I do that people just like accept it, you know, um, mm-hmm. which is fine. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I love Japanese horror movies. That's like my favorite kind of movies and East Asian horror movies in general um, like in more recent years, I've been trying to watch stuff that's not from Japan just cause like interesting. So like I did watch a bunch of Indonesian horror movies that all ended up on Netflix like a couple of years ago. And then like, yeah, mm-hmm. more recently I watched that Filipino horror movie. Cause I was like, Oh, I've never actually seen a horror movie from the Philippines, like fallout. So I just like East Asian horror. I fucking love it. And like, I remember when we were talking about changing the name of hollow boys, this was back when Monica and I were talking about it. And we were still doing that band. I was trying to find a name and I really wanted to name it after a movie. I wanted to name it after wild at heart, but there were already a bunch of bands called wild at heart. And I was Uh, just like, uh. I was, it was in like, usually that doesn't bother me too much, but it was like to the point where it would have been generic. You know what I mean? Right. And so I was looking around, I was like, let me just look at some Japanese horror movies that I've seen and just see if anyone has like a cool name. Cause some of them have like cool names. And I came across another heaven and I was like, okay, this is perfect because it's not a notable or good movie at all. Like it's, it's just (laughs) totally a movie. I feel no connection to it at all. I just think that's a really sick name for something. And so I just totally pilfered it. And like, since then a couple of people have asked me, do you love that movie? I was like, no, it's like not even that good, but that's like why I like it. I was like, it is really, really funny to name a band after like a mediocre movie. That's just generally in a style you like, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that reminds me of Opeth, I think, have a similar thing where they're like named after a city in like a fantasy novel that their lead singer says, like, it's a shitty novel, but I just really liked that name. (laughs) Exactly. No, that's I think that's cool because I I think that, well, there used to be a weekly here, like an arts and music weekly and. They shut down their website, unfortunately, but used to Google my name. One of the first things that popped up was like an article where I'm quoted as saying that all band names are stupid and they suck. And like <laughs> that, is, that is literally how I feel. And so like, I feel like the more like flippant you can make a band name while still choosing one that's like fits what you do, mm-hmm. then like the better, you know? So I kind of felt like for this project, another heaven is a perfect name. And we've been doing it for a few years now and I don't regret that. So I think I chose okay. I guess if someone really confronted me about this movie, I would be like, dude, I don't even remember it. Like, leave, <laughs> leave me alone. But no one has. Everyone's just gone with it. I think it's, I'm, I'm looking to wrap it up, but I've been doing this thing lately where I'm ending a lot of my interviews with 
sort of looping back to the beginning in some way. Okay. And I was wondering if there's any advice or any like words that you would give your past self when either you were just starting this band, just starting recording uh, the record or just starting playing music. Like what would you tell your past self from your current position? Oh, that is an interesting question. I mean, I would, I would tell that stupid fucker to um, just be yourself Mm -hmm. and only surround yourself with people who like you for yourself. And if that means you have to be alone for a while, that's good. Be alone, be by yourself because it's better to be yourself by yourself than someone you're not with other people. Well, there you go. That's probably the most <laughs> succinct answer I've gotten for that question so far. <laughs> That's, Sounded like I you mean, had that ready to go. <laughs> I know. I didn't think I did, but it just, yeah, that just came. Oh, well, I don't know. I was thinking about those years recently because someone asked me about it. I think someone who I knew at that time. And it was just kind of funny because it's like, oh, nobody remembers that shit. That's crazy that you brought that up. And I was just like, yeah, like I didn't like very soon after we made it, you know, I didn't like any of the music. It was like, we'd make it, you'd have a moment of elation and be like, oh, this sucks actually. And it was just Mm -hmm. because like the people I was making music with and I was in bands with and stuff just didn't like the music I made. It wasn't just that they didn't like the same things I liked. It was like, they didn't like the music I made. And I don't even think they liked me. And Mm -hmm. I just sort of went on this grim death march of music where it's like, well, this is what we do. And like, he's really good at drums and like, Oh, got to do it. And it's like, that's so stupid. And I'm glad I figured that out like relatively young. Like I didn't waste too many years of my life, but there was still a few, a few years where I was actually writing decent stuff that I just never finished or fleshed out or recorded just because it was like, you know, I just had like unsupportive bandmates and unsupportive friends in general. So it's like that, that was the, the problem. And then when I started making good music, it wasn't cause I got like hit in the head and suddenly saw, you know, light coming from heaven. It was just cause like I got in a fucking band with people who liked me and liked the music I was making. Mm. And I was like, yeah, Holy yeah. shit, this is crazy. And it's like, no, it's not. This is like what you're supposed to do. But I think too, is just, I, I didn't in high school, none of my close friends made music. Like right. I had a lot of friends, none of them made music. So I was alone when I was making music. And when I was showing them the music I made, they would be like, I don't get this. This is fucking weird. Uh, And so I didn't have that formative experience of just like start a band with your friends. I had to start a band with people that I was like meeting through music. You know, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like you've since like found your crew that like melds those two worlds better, like actually makes the music you want to make. And as like a, a better, you know, more productive relationship with, you know? Yeah. Now I have the opposite problem where it's like, I'm just in bands with my friends and it's becoming hilariously incestuous. Like <laughs> we were standing outside the other night. Cause like we have a, it's like an old band that we're bringing back that we haven't really done anything publicly with and just like messing around in space. And we were standing outside and someone that we like kind of know came up and said hi. And, and Cole was like, yeah, I'm in like three. He was like, who's all in your space? And he just Cole pointed at me. He's like, yeah, it's just like a bunch of bands with like me and that guy. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's lit. Or like, you know, even like the gear pile, we just have like the communal gear pile. So people are like, wow, you guys have like, I was like, do you just own like a hundred guitars? And it's like, no, I just have a pile of guitars that no one cares if I play them. Cause it's just like mm-hmm. eight people's guitars. And so it's like, it's very misleading. 
<laughs> well, I know that you just wrapped up a, a short another heaven tour, but if you do hit the road again and come to New York, please let me know. Cause I'd love to see you guys live. Hell yeah. I'd love to, to link up again. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, we're going to, the goal is next spring to kind of do something that gets us out to New York. We've got some homies in New York, including you. It'd be good to see you. Um, I am a fan. I'm a big fan of your music and this show. So I'm glad that oh, we actually thanks, got to do this. And uh, yeah, we'll be, we'll be in New York before you know it, playing a real weird fucking show, which is really just what I've wanted to do all along. Keep going to New York and playing with rock bands. I'm like, fuck that. I want to play with some guys in leather masks doing weird ass shit, man. Like, come on. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to have that experience, dude. I'm in New York. <laughs> all right. Well, until then, I can't wait to see that. But uh, yeah, thanks for, <laughs> yeah. thanks for hopping on and uh, for talking with me. This has been great. Hell yeah. <laughs>